In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Heavenly Father, we just thank you tonight for being able to come here and study your word together, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your word and that you have revealed so much to us through your word, Lord, of who you are. And I'm so thankful that we can open up your word daily and discover who you are. Wisdom, and that you give us clarity, and you give us help to discern the truth of your word tonight, Lord. And that I don't rely on my own understanding here, Lord, but I rely on your understanding, the understanding that comes from you and your word, Lord. I thank you for the encouragement and hope that your word always brings to us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, I want to focus on peace that Jesus gives. You know, it's a peace that you can find nowhere else. And as we know, a lot of people try to find peace in every place that they can imagine. You know, they try and find that perfect peace. But we know as believers in Christ that peace is only found, true peace is only found in Jesus. And so when you look into other things or other people, you may find temporary peace or a peace that you might think will be lasting peace. But the only true peace comes from when we look to Jesus. And so also what I want to do tonight is I want to look and go through some of the promises that are found in John chapter 14 that will lead us to this peace that we can have in Jesus. And I don't have time to go through all of John 14 tonight, but John 14 is a wonderful, great chapter. So I kind of just want to pull out a little bit of the highlights of the chapter and a couple of the promises of the chapter in John. But I would encourage you, on your own Bible study time, that this is a great chapter to read and study um, as it's got so many great truths in it. And I just, I just urge you to do that in your own time Bible study. As you know, Pastor Clanton's been doing a wonderful series on Sundays called I Promise. And in his series, he's been focusing on the promises of God to us and many of the promises that he goes into, he goes in more, in more depth on it in the series and some of them are from the chapter of John in chapter 14, um, like the promise of heaven or the promise of the Holy Spirit to every believer, and how the Holy Spirit is always present with us and how he helps us to know God better, as well as many other the wonderful promises that God has given to us. So if you want to re-listen to or if you haven't heard any of those in that series, um, I invite you to check it out on uh, our Facebook page or on our church website, which is woodland.church, or you can do it on our app, and it's the Sunday I Promise series. So if we look back at John chapter 14, verse 1, the first thing that we see Jesus say is, let not your hearts be troubled. He says, not, let not your hearts be troubled. And before this, there, before, um, there weren't breaks in chapters uh, before. It was all read as one. And so they do put a break here, but the backstory kind of of this is that um, they were very troubled at this time. The disciples were very, very troubled, you know, because just before this, 
Um, in John chapter 12 and 13, Jesus was telling the crowd and the disciples that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to die. Okay? And so then in a more intimate setting with his disciples in John chapter 13, we read that after Jesus talked about this, he kind of took them and he said, you know, now one of you is going to betray me. So not only was Jesus looking at his impending death, but now he's also looking at somebody, one of his followers, is going to betray him into the hands of the enemy. And so not only this, but we also see right before chapter 14, we also see Peter, after hearing all of this, he tells Jesus, I will lay my life down for you. And that's when Jesus told him, you know, before the morning comes, you will deny me three times. But then right away, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Now, if Peter's thinking, how can my heart not be troubled after hearing all of this? You know, but even Jesus going to the cross, he still had compassion and love for his disciples. And he still was looking out for them. You know, because now they had to think about what their life would be like without Jesus. I mean, we think about that now. Think about losing a loved one that you're with all the time and how hard it is, you know. And here Jesus is telling them that they're going to have to face a reality without him. And this was a reality of uncertainty for them. You know, so Jesus knew because of this that their hearts would be troubled. You know, also as I was doing a Bible study on this, you know, we also see several other passages where it describes Jesus having a troubled heart. Um, when Jesus, Jesus in his humanity, if you remember, it said that he was troubled when Lazarus died. And that's in John eleven thirty three. 33. And he wasn't troubled because of the death of Lazarus because he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he knew that Lazarus had a heavenly home waiting for him. But Jesus was troubled in his spirit because he saw the effects of sin and death. And he saw the people around him mourning his dear beloved Lazarus' death. You know, in, in John 12, 27, it says, Jesus' soul was troubled because he knew what was ahead of him. He knew that the cross laid before him. You know, death is troubling and it's painful. Even though we know as believers that it's not the end, it's still something that we mourn. And so the disciples hearing about this had a troubled heart. And then also Jesus was also troubled in his spirit when he told his disciples that one of them would betray him. And that's in 1321. So not only is death troubling for us, but betrayal is troubling as well, isn't it? I mean, we've gone through, you know, all of us I think have probably gone through somebody betraying us, betrayed by somebody that we love or betrayed by somebody that we thought we trusted, you know. And so Jesus knew what betrayal felt like. Jesus knew what a troubled heart felt like. So he knew how his disciples were going to feel. I mean, we live in a world of uncertainty. Just look outside of us. You know, we see that all the time. And one of the most common causes for a troubled heart is the uncertainty of the future. There's so many people nowadays that are wondering how they're going to provide for their family because of the rise in the price of groceries. Many are wondering how they're going to fill up their gas tanks with the gas prices so high. 
There's a lot of people losing their jobs and a lot of people being laid off. You know, money's tight and, you know, many times people are looking at the future and saying, how am I going to do this? So Jesus, knowing all of this, is saying and telling them and us, stop stressing out. Jesus knew their hearts and he knew that they were stressing out about everything that was going on and everything that was happening and everything that was going to happen. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that they can trust him, that they can trust him and he is the cure for their troubled hearts. I think about my own life and many of the times I feel stressed out, you know, being an adult is pretty hard. <laughs> and so I also think about my children and how when they were younger, you know, they used to, you know, have a lot of different uh, things that scared them or they were kind of unsure of, you know, and now as they get older, they have other, you know, things that they're unsure of and stuff that scares them. And, you know, it's like, it's up to us as parents to not only remember that Jesus is our peace and that Jesus provides us with that peace and he comforts us and he's with us through everything. But we can also point our children to Jesus. We can also point our, Je our children to his perfect peace because he has proven himself over and over again to be trustworthy. And so that's why, you know, when we feel stressed out about something or if, if something's on our mind, the greatest way to do it is to get on your knees and pray. Pray about it. Read God's word. Let him take your fears away and any uncertainty that you may have. You know, we can do this because just as the disciples had all the reasons to trust Jesus because he had been trustworthy so far with them, and so we too can trust him, you know, in those times of uncertainty. And so right after Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled, he then said, believe or trust in God and believe or trust in me. My friends, we can trust God tonight that whatever we're going through, because he is worthy alone of our trust. Because unlike our fellow man, God will always fulfill his promises and he has proven over and over again in our lives and in the lives of others that he is trustworthy. And so when we read these six words that Jesus spoke specifically to his disciples in the face of his impending death, let not your heart be troubled. Jesus tells us the same thing today as our hearts are troubled by anxiety and worry because Jesus cares about us and he has a plan for our lives. So Jesus is telling you tonight, stop letting your heart be troubled. He's not saying don't begin to let your heart be troubled. He's saying, stop it. Don't do it anymore. Don't let your heart be troubled. You know, and it's interesting that we see sandwiched in between verse 1 and verse 27, Jesus says twice, don't let your heart be troubled. So it's pretty important because he offers these much needed words of hope and comfort. And so as we go through John chapter 14, we see four promises in this chapter. And the first promise that we read in John chapter 14 is that we have a promise of eternal life. You know, right after that, Jesus went on to tell them, in my Father's house are many rooms. Sometimes it says mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. And that's John 14, 2 through 4. So heaven is a real place. I know that he talks, he, in the, some of the translations says mansions, and one, my daughter's always wanted to see mansions. You know, take us to go see these mansions. And so I think my wife took one of my daughters one time, I think to grow zeal or something, was looking at those, those big houses. But heaven's a real place, you know, and it's a personal promise to God's children. And so Jesus told his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them. He's speaking of something that's tangible and real. And he reassured them and us that he will return to take them to heaven, his father's house. So Jesus was telling his disciples and us that they will have struggles, they will fail, they will face betrayal as he did, and they will experience death. But through all of the struggles of this world, Jesus did not want their hearts to be troubled in regards to heaven because it's our, it's our inheritance that we've been promised as believers in Christ because heaven is our home. My daughter Elena, she loves to study the, God's word. She's always asking questions about it and she's kind of my little evangelist. You know, she wants to teach and preach as well. She wants to teach and preach God's word to everyone. She's always talking about that to people. And I remember about a month ago, we had a nice little discussion about heaven. And she was asking me all the questions that kids ask. What's heaven going to be like? What is it going to look like? You know, all these good questions. And I actually brought her a book home tonight, a devotional about heaven. And so I gave her a few Bible verses to read about heaven, and she kind of marked them up in her, in her uh, Bible. But the Bible does speak a lot about heaven. In fact, the Bible mentions heaven around 532 times. And so here it says that we are going to dwell in the Father's house. You know, we'll, we'll be in the Father's presence, free from sin, free from sorrow, free from suffering, free from separation or anything else that would hinder the glory of heaven. I love Revelation chapter one, uh, 21. In chapter 21, 4, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for former things have passed away. I don't think we can really see in our finite minds, we can't really understand and grasp what heaven's going to be like, but Paul did a pretty good job when he wrote in 1 Corinthians, what no eye has seen, nor eye heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared a place for those who love him. We cannot imagine it. I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to Jesus' return, and I am looking forward to when he comes back from the, in the clouds, and he comes back for us, and we can have that future hope of eternal life with him in heaven for all eternity. Are you excited about that? Yeah. Amen. So the second thing is, is that we have a promise of salvation. We have a promise of salvation. So then it says that Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so this is one of the seven I am statements of Jesus that we see in John's gospel. And so Jesus tells his disciples that there's only one plan of salvation for everybody. There's not multiple ways. 
Jesus didn't say that he would show us a way. He said that he is the way. There's only one path to heaven, and he is it. There's no plan B. Jesus also didn't promise here that he was going to teach us truth. He said he is the truth. You know, we live in a world where so many people are saying stuff like, your truth is your truth, or, you know, why don't you go live out your truth? Whatever is true for you is true for you. You know, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus is truth. You know, if you remember, Pontius Pilate famously asked the question, what is truth? You know, and many people ask that today. And just like Pilate, with Pilate, truth was standing right in front of him when he asked that question. Jesus was speaking truth to him. And we too can find truth because Jesus, the incarnate word of God, is the source of all truth. Jesus also didn't offer secrets of life. He didn't say, I'm going to give you the secrets to life. Sounds like one of those commercials. Buy it now for $19.99. I got you secrets of life here. You know, he didn't say that. He said, he is the life. You know, there's many people out there that are trying to secret, you know, sell the secrets to a better life, but it's only in Christ that we can truly live. So if you're wandering about in life and you don't know where you're going, Jesus is the way. If you're confused and you don't know what to think, Jesus is the truth. If you're dead inside and you don't know that you can go on, Jesus is the life. And so Jesus answered Thomas's question. He told him that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And he declared himself to be the only access to God for any man. All roads do not lead to heaven. It's only through Jesus, who's the only source of all life, all truth, who laid down his life for his sheep, who died and rose three days later, who spoke his authority over life and death that we can have eternal life. When we confess our sins and we believe that he died to take the punishment of our sins and then he rose again from the dead to give us new life. I think it's kind of funny. Every time I read this section, so I don't know if you're like me, but you know, Jesus is now telling them you know, that he's going away to prepare a place for them and that he's going to come again. He's going to take them to himself and that they know the way that, he, you know, where he's going. And so I can kind of picture all the disciples kind of like me when I was in grade school, when the teacher was talking, I had no idea what the teacher was talking about. And I just sat there and <laughs> pretending I'm writing notes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then there was always that one kid who would raise his hand and say, excuse me, teacher, I don't understand this. Well, that was Thomas. Because Thomas is that one guy. You know, he's kind of like what we would think of as, you know, the know-it-all or the teacher's pet that, you know, had, you know, raise your hand. Teacher, I don't understand, you know. But Thomas was not that kid that, you know, he, he had no idea what the teacher was talking about, you know, and and he, did, you know, he didn't know what Jesus was saying, so Thomas put up his head. He said, I have no idea what you're saying here. You know, can you explain it? And so then Jesus told Thomas and the other disciples, and that's when he said, you know, because, you know, he's telling them, I'm going to come back for you, and, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so then he says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So I don't know if that cleared it up for him or not, but Thomas did ask that question of, you know, how do we get to where you're going? And so that's when Jesus said that. And I remember reading a story about a little girl's family who moved to a newer neighborhood. And so one day the girl's grandfather came to visit and they took a walk and they walked for about 15 minutes or so around a new neighborhood. Then the grandfather asked the little girl, how far do you think we are from home? And the little girl responded, I don't know. So the grandfather asked his granddaughter, well, which way do you think we should go to get back to home? And the little girl told her grandpa, I don't know. And the grandfather kind of smiled and he said, well, it seems to me that you're lost. And the little girl confidently said back to her grandpa, I'm not lost, grandpa. I'm with you. And that's just like us. We're not lost. You know, we were once lost, but now we're not lost because we know the way, we know the truth, and we know the life. You see, this little girl trusted her grandpa enough to know that he was the way home, and that's how we should trust the Lord. You know, Jesus Christ loves us so much that he died on the cross for our sins. And now the risen Savior says, you can trust me today, tomorrow, and forever. You can trust me to lead you all the way home to heaven because I am the way. And so Jesus is making a radical statement here. He's saying that he alone is the way. He alone is the truth. He alone is the life. And that no one comes and no one ever will come and no one ever has come to the Father but through him. We also see in Acts 4.12 when Peter said, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. You right now can have that promise of salvation through Christ alone. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, you can have that salvation. You can follow God's plan of salvation by just believing in his name and trusting in him as your savior. Just as Paul told the Philippian jailer when he asked, what must I do to be saved? Paul told him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John Dyer, a Welsh poet and pastor from the 1700s once wrote, a man may go to heaven without health, without riches, without honors, without learning, without friends, but he can never go there without Christ. Today, our world is filled with people who are seeking some other way to God, some other way than the one that's found in the blood of Jesus. That's it. God has provided for our salvation. The third promise that we see in this is that we have a promise of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, Jesus said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So John uses the Greek word paraclete or parakletos in this, which can be translated as helper, counselor, comforter, or advocate. It's kind of like a defense attorney in the court of law that in the legal aspect of the Holy Spirit when Jesus says that he will convict the world of its distorted view of sin and judgment. And so the Holy Spirit gives a strong defense of the gospel to this hostile world. And one thing that we should notice also when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in John 14 is that Jesus does not refer to the Holy Spirit as it 
or a force. He refers to him as he and him. And all those are pronouns that speak of a person or a personhood. So the Holy Spirit's not a feeling. He's not a force. He's not just some type of mode, as some people believe. He is a person, and he is God. And then also in verse 16 and 17, Jesus gives the main teaching of the Holy Spirit, and he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this is important because the disciples were troubled because Jesus was leaving him. And so, you know, this was Jesus who was the promised Messiah who they spent three years with. And so they're probably thinking, okay, this is the end. This is going to be it but it's the promise of the Holy Spirit to dwell in them and be with them. It's the same way that Jesus was. You know, Jesus was saying, it's not over. This is just the beginning. And we know that it was, you know. And so this means that the work of the Spirit would be a work of continuation. It's not like, you know, all of a sudden Jesus' teachings all of a sudden stopped and then the Holy Spirit comes in and teaches all something new. That's not how it was. You know, the Spirit doesn't wipe everything clear from the previous of what Jesus was teaching and begin again. You know, he's a, it's a continuation of what Jesus was teaching. And so in our Christian walk, you know, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us and he guides us in all truth. And in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God, um, it, you can read um, when it talks about the Spirit of God, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't indwelling them, you know, um, like he does today you know, the Holy Spirit was upon them at certain times. And so now the Holy Spirit is going to indwell the believers and indwells us. You know, and I remember as Pastor Clanton said in one of his past messages, you know, the Holy Spirit helps us know God better. And so Jesus promised that he's not going to leave them as orphans. You know, that's what they probably were thinking that they would, you know, you know so Jesus is promising, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And I love what Charles Spurgeon wrote about Jesus not leaving us as orphans says. He says, an orphan has parents who are dead. The Spirit shows us Jesus is alive. An orphan is left alone. The Spirit draws, close, draws us close to God's presence. An orphan has lost their provider. The Spirit provides all things. An orphan is left without instruction. And the Spirit teaches us all things. An orphan has no defender. The Spirit is our protector. So this is a wonderful promise that we have, you know, because their training wasn't finished, you know, but it's going to be continued and it's to be continued by the helper, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would teach the disciples that, you know, more of what they needed to know, you know, and they would, it tells us that, you know, they, they, he would supernaturally bring the remembrance of Jesus's words to them, you know, and it's both for their benefit and it was also for the benefit of them writing the Gospels. And so the Holy Spirit guides us. He speaks to us through his word. He reveals God's will in our lives. He's our comforter. He's our helper. He's our guide. He's the revealer of truth. And he will guide us into all truth. And I'm so thankful for that promise of the Holy Spirit and his work in our life tonight. And so the fourth thing that I want to talk about as, as a promise is when we have the first three, 
our promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of salvation, the promise of eternal life, then we can truly have that promise of peace. It's a peace that only Jesus can give. And so after speaking about this, Jesus said to them, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And then he says again, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So peace is such a wonderful word. You know, we all want peace, right? How many songs are made about peace? How many singing the same song I'm singing in my head right now? All we are saying is give peace a chance, right? So man longs for peace. We always have. You know, and Jesus offers peace that the world cannot give. The world's peace is based on resources and it's temporary. The peace that Christ gives is based on a relationship and is eternal. And we can have that peace with God through the completed work of Jesus Christ. The peace the world offers usually has strings attached. Usually when somebody's offering you some type of peace, they want something from you, you know. But the peace of Christ has no strings attached. The peace of Christ gives us, and it surpasses all understanding. God's supernatural peace surpasses all natural understanding. And no matter where we're going through or what we're going through, whether it's good or bad, we can praise the Lord and have peace in our hearts. And that peace surpasses all of our understanding. How many times have you been going through something and you read God's word and it kind of calms you down? Or how many times are you stressing out about something and you get on your knees and you pray about it? Or you pray with others about it? You know, and that's a peace that passes all understanding. It's a supernatural peace. And so Jesus began verse 1 of chapter 14 with let not your hearts be troubled. And then here he says again, let not your hearts be troubled. So I think he's trying to tell us something. So what are you afraid of tonight? How is your heart troubled? You know, in 1 Peter 5, he wrote, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You know, we're told to humble ourselves before God and trust him because he will take care of us. And part of humbling ourselves before God includes casting all of our cares upon him. If you think about casting, it's like throwing. You know, if you're fishing, you cast your, you know, try to get, your, you know, you cast your reel out there, or your line, I think, right? I'm not a fisherman, but, <laughs> but that's what I think of when it, you know, God is all powerful, loving, he's full of compassion, and he's able to handle all of our cares when we let him. You know, Jesus calls us to come to him and cast all of our cares and our troubles on him. And when we do, the promise is that we will find rest for our souls. You know, Jesus offers perfect peace. And we can have that perfect peace because of his promise of eternal life, his promise of salvation, and the promise of the Holy Spirit. We can experience the peace of God in our lives. And as I said earlier, the peace of God is the only true peace that we can have that's not temporary. And when Jesus told them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, that was like a normal uh, customary greeting back then. They would say, you know, 
peace I leave with you. You know, a customary wish of shalom or peace to them. You know, it was common for them to say, you know, in, in the ancient culture when somebody said peace, as they left, there was no really special meaning to it. They were just saying goodbye. It's kind of like how we say goodbye. But Jesus wanted them to know that he was not just casually saying goodbye to them. It wasn't an empty peace or an empty goodbye that the world would offer. His peace was a better peace, a real peace, a perfect peace. And so Jesus was leaving his disciples with two things that were greater than any type of fortune or material thing that he could leave with them. He was leaving them with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and the real peace that only he could give.